hello, and welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of cycling performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. When Trevor first mentioned he wanted to do an entire episode about rest periods between intervals, well, I teased him. I often tease him. I always tease him. He was so excited about a seemingly mundane topic. Little did I know we would have such a compelling conversation with today's main guest, the lead physiologist at Inside and a previous guest on Fast Talk, Dr. Sebastian Weber. So why is rest so important and why are we having this conversation? I think it's safe to assume that when most cyclists design an interval workout, we focus most of our attention on the length and the intensity of each interval rep. The recovery between reps, however, well, that's often an afterthought, sometimes it's flat out ignored, which is a mistake because the length of that recovery period has a dramatic effect on what energy systems are used from one interval to the next. Take, for example, two interval workouts performed for the same length of time and at the same wattage, but one is done with 20 seconds of rest between reps and the other is done with five minutes between reps. They will be dramatically different, particularly in terms of how the wattage is produced for subsequent reps. We'll emphasize that fact again and again in this episode. We'll start today's show with a simple question, one that few athletes ask themselves. Why do we have rest periods at all? Then Trevor and I will discuss the metabolic milieu that is perturbed during intervals and what happens next when we rest. For most of the episode, we'll talk about the different interval types and the appropriate rest for each. Everything from threshold intervals to VO2 max intervals, from two and three minute intervals to debatas and sprints. Again, our main guest is Sebastian Weber of Inside, and we'll also hear from national road champion Ruth Winder and physiologists Dr. Stephen Chung and Jared Berg. Sebastian has created a webinar that will complement this episode as well, so please visit the show notes for this episode for a link to that presentation. Find it at fastlabs.com slash fasttalk113. Who knew rest was so important? Well, Trevor did, and after this episode, you will too. Let's make you fast. Well, it's um, it's great to have you back on the program, Sebastian Weber. It's been since episode 73, I believe it was. We also had you on for episode 67, where we talked about some of the metrics you uh, have uh, worked to create at Inside, VLA Max, and other things. So welcome back to the show, Sebastian. Yeah, thanks for having me again. And so we were just talking offline and we were asking you how you were getting through these times and you said, oh no, I've been busy. So you said there's been some big changes at Inside. Did you want to tell us a little bit about what you're about to launch? Well, yeah, I mean, we did uh, We did actually work on on a new technology for, for almost two years. I'm personally pretty excited about it because I think it's the first tool ever out there in terms of performance assessment which is actually allowing you to combine data of different sources, so lab, lab data for your, your VO2 analyzer, uh, lactate data, or just powderation data, uh, which you know most of your listeners um, will be familiar with, I guess. So it's called the Power Performance Decoder, because obviously we needed to find a fancy marketing name here. It can work completely on remote data, and, and it works, as I said, in combination with lactate data, just as you just as you like, right? And we've been through some extensive testing with some virtual cycling teams and some coaches and obviously did our homework in terms of validation. And we just launched, I don't know, approximately three weeks ago-ish. 
and uh, therefore it has, has been very busy, obviously, to get this out, to roll this out, and then afterwards, obviously, to get all our users and all our coaches and especially prof the, all the professional teams and organizations, federations, uh, getting up to speed on how to use it. And, it, and just to point out to people, if they're hearing uh, cowbells in the background, if they're hearing <laughs> birds chirping in the background, it's because you're at home in Switzerland near, yes. near some farmers and uh, just enjoying the day or the <laughs> evening for you. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, hope that's not too annoying. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Well, yeah, let's today we want to talk about something I don't think too many people do address. Uh, a lot of athletes have come to us asking the question, how long should I rest? How much should I rest between intervals? What difference does it make if between my threshold intervals I rest 30 seconds or five minutes? Should I always do the same type of rest between intervals? So we really want to answer some of those questions. And maybe first we should address the question of why there's so little research out there about this very question. You're asking me why there's not so much research out there? I don't know. <laughs> um, there's some there's some fundamental research uh, basically on muscle energetics and you know um, pH levels and so on and so forth, um, and I think what often happens that we maybe look too much on the you know when we search for things we maybe search too much on the on the applied science side of stuff right where you look for oh you know can I find a training study where they used different training interventions that's great and I. I think, you know, I also don't have from the top of my mind many studies that I can remember which look at um, the adaptation in terms of, you know, the training stimulus or the benefit you get from altering your rest intervals. But in terms of the mechanics, what happens during the resting, I think that's, you know, that's some basic uh, physiological knowledge, which is uh, which is indeed out there. This was something that, that Chris and I were talking about before. What is physiologically the purpose of the having the rest? So, you know, to really simplify this and oversimplify this, let's take a standard interval like five by five minutes. Uh, let's say you do those intervals at two hundred and seventy watts. Why not just do twenty five minutes at two hundred and seventy watts? Why have <laughs> intervals? Why have the rest? Well, that's an excellent question. And for me, the blind spot really here in scientific research is, is and there's not a lot, there's a little bit, but not a lot, is to, um, is to you know, compare um, intervals versus steady state exercise, so to speak, uh, or steady exercise, constant, constant load, um, for matching workload. Because most studies deal with, you know, we compare whatever long, slow distance training, so constant workload versus interval workload, but then it's not matched in terms of intensity and time. Um, so one question that, that I personally find very interesting here if I'm at this is, is um, looking at is the training stimulus different just because we alternate the intensity, so to speak, even matching workload and matching intensity. Um, that's, that's one thing. And then the other question, what is the purpose of the 
what is the purpose of the rest? What is the pur purpose of the off phase? I think that pretty much depends on the kind of interval training that you're doing. Are we talking about sprint intervals or longer intervals or whatsoever? Um, originally, obviously, it comes from the idea, let's say, whatever, let's say you say, uh, I want to I spend, I want to spend whatever, 10 minutes or 20 minutes total at power X, let's say 300 watts or whatsoever. Um, but I'm not able to do it continuously, then the original idea, I think, comes from I just break it up, right? I just break it into different snippets or different pieces, and therefore I'm, I'm able to complete the total work, the total time, let's say 20 minutes. I just need to break it up into five reps, for example, right? So that's obviously the benefit that I can, I can get higher and longer work done, so to speak, uh, by breaking things up. A while back, Chris and I had a chance to talk with Ruth Winder, the current American national road champion, and we asked her this question about rest periods and intervals and why do them. Interestingly, while she certainly recognized there's a physiological value to them, for her, it was almost more about motivation. When you're doing intervals, how much do you focus on the rest period, both between your reps and between your sets? Do you feel that's really important or is it just, yeah, I'll just pedal easy until I, I feel like I'm ready to do my next next rep. Uh, I like to follow my workouts as strictly as I can. <laughs> I feel like I get the most feeling of success when if it says, you know, 10 minute interval with eight minutes rest, then I will be like as close to the eight minute mark as humanly possible. Um, sometimes I'm given like in between an eight and 10 minute recovery or something like that. So then sometimes be like nine minutes right in the middle. So, you know, I'll go, I'll go for something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Now, is that a mindset thing or do you think <laughs> physiologically that's helping you? And I will tell you, I'm somebody, I remember one time doing sprint sets and I had 10 minute recoveries. And I got to the start line where I was going to do my sprints and sat there in circles because I was at like 9.15 and then realized I was an idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that is also loose. That has loosened off a little bit as I've gotten older, I think, too, as I've learned that I'm like, my race is not going to be won or lost, whether I do nine minutes and 55 seconds of recovery or 10 minutes and 20 seconds of recovery. So I definitely have like become a little relaxed about it. Not like to so much to the point that I'm adding myself minutes, but I don't believe that it's making or breaking my fitness. So what's a good guideline to say this recovery has been long enough? Um, I guess it depends on what you're trying to achieve from the workout. Like if the workout is intended to have limited recovery so that you feel really tired for each interval, then just suck it up and do the two minutes of recovery like your coach told you to do. But then if either your coach has been like, this should be a full recovery, then that's when you really should pay attention to your body and be like, okay, this 10 minutes, I don't feel fully recovered. So let me try 12. There's not much science behind the, the effectiveness of different lengths is there that that's kind of what we want to explore in an episode is how critical is that rest period and like you touched upon sometimes you want it and sometimes you don't but if it's so long that you're fully recovered is it does it really matter or or what i think it does vary by the type of interval i think that there are a lot of times when people just really like to follow a program and like the confidence in following a program whether it's right or wrong is like what a lot of people especially during the week and they only have an hour to ride and they want to get they want to feel successful like having a specific amount is really confidence inspiring and i definitely feel that at times sometimes it's like well i don't really care if this is right or wrong but 
I want to be, I want to do what I'm told and I want to feel successful at the end of it. And most people, it's as long as they feel tired by the end of it. So if you give people a two minute interval and then give them 15 minutes of recovery, they're not always going to like come back feeling like they did a really hard workout or something like that. So sometimes it's just what you're trying to achieve from the day. And if you only have an hour, then maybe a little less recovery is better um, for something like that. But I mean, it would be really interesting to learn about. We talked to you in a previous show where you, you, you talked about Tabata-style intervals, and obviously that 40-20 is, is critical. The, the, the 20 is just as important an mm-hmm. element in that workout. But if you're doing something like a threshold workout, a long threshold workout, uh, are you very particular about the recovery length? Yeah, but I think <laughs> I think it's just whatever my coach said. I don't know necessarily that I know that it's the right or wrong thing. I just think that... I like to follow my program. Fair enough. Yeah, so no, that's like follow my program. But I have become, like I said, a little bit more relaxed. Where I'm like, okay, it doesn't have to be exactly 10 minutes on the absolute dot. But I'm also not the kind of rider that will like circle my parking lot until I've like hit the exact hour number that I was supposed to do for my ride. So I think it depends a little bit on who you are. And if you get a lot of confidence from doing like exactly what you're told, then being a good cyclist has like got a lot to do with confidence. So you do what you need to do to feel confident. Me, I can come home at two hours and 55 minutes, which was supposed to be a three-hour ride and feel totally confident that I did what I needed to do for the day. So yeah. it just kind of depends a bit on that. Let's take a bit of a deep dive into the physiology. So agreed, um, particularly if you're doing really hard, uh, more anaerobically focused intervals, you need those rests to be able to produce the intensity. What is physiologically going on when you're taking that rest, what's changing that's allowing you, as you said, to to produce the intensity every time? Well, very simplified saying, um, you kind of reverse or you're trying to reverse your fatigue, right? Um, And on a macro level, so to speak, that's what you're doing throughout the whole week or months of training, right? When you, let's say, train 10 hours per week, you most likely also don't come to the conclusion, hey, I can train 10 hours on one day and then rest for another six days and 14 hours, right? So your week is also similar, right? It's a similar idea. I want to have a resting phase in order to be, you know, ensure a good quality for the next repetition, next training day, so to speak, right? To answer your question, I would say, let's imply here that the interval that you did was kind of exhaustive, Right? Maybe it was not till full exhaustion. You maybe didn't puke on the handlebar, but <laughs> very, very close to that, let's say. Sure. Right? Then, then basically why you're doing this rest is you want to restore, you want to reset your system more similar or more likely more similar to the state of a rested system, physiological system talking, energetic system talking, in order to allow for another repetition at, for example, the same quality or same duration and same intensity. And what exactly in terms of energetically, physiologically, you are looking for to recover, that can be vastly different again, depending on, you know, are we talking about a sprint interval training? Are we talking about longer intervals? You know, these kind of things. And obviously, I'm, I'm here on talking about the physiological side of that, right? I'm not talking about the psychological side. I have no clue about that, really. I guess um, when it comes to, you know, are you more prepared? Are you ready again? Sure. Are you motivated to the next interval, right? So let's maybe keep it on a physiological view for, for now. Before we spoke with Sebastian, Trevor and I discussed the topic of metabolic perturbance, as well as two studies that looked at the importance of rest periods during interval sessions. Let's listen to that now. 
What does a rest period accomplish? Physiologically speaking, what are we gaining by having them? There's two things. Two things that you want to look at with that rest period. One is influence on fuel. The other one is an influence on the metabolic milieu, which is a mm. term I love. The MM. Yes. We'll just call it the MM. And we'll go into, in a minute, the milieu and talk about metabolic perturbance and Ooh. all sorts of fun terms. This is going to be nice. exciting. Let's talk first about fuel. The idea here being you are going to deplete some of your fuel, so you need some rest time to replete it. And Replete that, it? Yes. Replete? Is that a word? Yes, it is. is it's it? in the science world. Okay, good. I like it. Otherwise, I got to go. I don't like pleats on my pants, but replete's a cool word. That was not funny at all. <laughs> Jana's laughing a little bit. She's laughing at you. <laughs> That's fine. Or beside you. Any any type of laughter in my mind is pretty good. There you People go. People can laugh at me all the time. So remember, we have three types of fuel, primary types of fuel. You have fat, which is essentially unlimited. So that's not something you need to replete. Chris is just liking this replete word. I love repletes. Fat is, is constantly available. You have glycogen. You're not in a four-minute interval going to deplete your glycogen, but if you do a, a long interval session or a long time trial, you do run the risk of, mm -hmm. of depleting your, your glycogen. The other primary fuel, which is your, when you're basically your, your main short anaerobic fuel, is phosphocreatine. Mm -hmm. And you deplete that very quickly. So if you are trying to do, let's quickly talk about what all this means. If you're trying to do short, really high intensity above VO2 max intervals, you are going to deplete that. So phosphocreatine in short form is PCR. You're going to deplete PCR pretty quickly. And you need some time to recharge that in order to be able to do the next interval with high intensity. Mm -hmm. As I said, with glycogen, you're not going to deplete it in a four-minute interval. But over the course of the intervals, you are going to start depleting it. So that's going to influence how much interval work you can do. And we're going to get to this. But because of these issues that are coming up in terms of depleting fuel sources, you need to vary the length of time that you rest to be able to replete them? Yes. So that this is kind of the point I'm getting to, which is you need time to replete phosphocreatine. It has a, a two-stage recharge that I'm not going to go into the details of, but basically it is mostly repleted in about one to two minutes. Mm -hmm. So bulk of it in about one minute. So if you're doing that high-intensity work and you want to make sure you have full P PCR, storage, you need at least a minute, you're probably better with two. Flipping it around, like I said, fat is unlimited. But there is where you burn fat is in the Krebs cycle. Krebs cycle is a little slow to get going. So if you hop on your bike and start working, you're actually going to mostly generate energy with glycolysis while this big, think of this big monster Krebs cycle starts ramping Churning up. away, yeah. And it needs the, by, the end products of glycolysis in order to function. So as strange as it sounds, where to replete phosphocreatine, you need a long recovery. If you're trying to really focus on using fat for fuel, not using a lot of anaerobic metabolism, 
you want to make sure your recoveries aren't too long. Mm. Because if you get off the bike and rest for a long time and then you go and do another interval, it's going to take time again to get that mm. cycle up and, and running to mm -hmm. get that to where you're, you're fully doing aerobic metabolism. Mm -hmm. So when I actually give my athletes longer intervals, more threshold-focused intervals, I'm actually going to somewhat limit the recovery length. I don't want them taking 10 minutes in between those intervals. Right, right, yep. So... Now, there is also this whole metabolic milieu, and there, there's three parts to it. So it's basically the idea of inside the cell, you have a, a homeostasis that you want to maintain. Uh, and that's, in particular, there, there are certain metabolites that your body wants to keep in balance that get out of balance when you're doing intensity. So we actually just talked about one, which is phosphocreatine. Mm -hmm. So you're going to, if you're doing really high intensity, you're going to deplete that pretty quickly. The other one, when we, we start talking about acid-base balance, you're talking about, we'll, we'll look at lactate, but really what we're talking about is hydrogen ions. They'll get out of balance really fairly quickly when you're doing interval work. Um, and actually, in that same study by Dr. Seiler, he talked about Generally, when you're doing interval work, you're, you're, you're looking for this optimal, you, you want to see blood lactates be kind of 5 to 10 millimoles. Mm -hmm. So the last one, and this is getting a little deep into the weeds, is restitution of transmembrane potassium. Mm. So very, very short. If you remember your high school physiology, we have these transporters on all of our cells that transport potassium into the cell, get sodium out of the cell because you want to keep potassium in your cells. You want to keep sodium out in the extracellular fluid. When you are doing high intensity, that's going to get out of whack. You're going to start seeing sodium come into the cell. You're going to start seeing potassium get out. That's going to affect your ability to function. Mm. So you need to restore that balance as well. This milieu, these different things take different lengths of time to recharge. So uh, we talked about phosphocreatine. It's a two-phase thing. It takes, uh, like I said, about one minute to get most of it, two minutes if you really want to be fully recharged. Transmembrane potassium balance, again, it's pretty well recharged within about 60 seconds. And these are the things that really get out of balance when you're doing super high intensity. Right. The restoring pH takes 5 to 15 minutes for the half-life. Mm. So much longer recovery, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because the belief is you want high lactates, when you're, especially when you're doing that aerobic type work, uh, to, to really see the benefits. Right. So, and... To remind people, lactate is not is a fuel source that's right. being used here. It's not where you shouldn't be thinking about it as this evil thing all the time. Yeah, if you want to hear my full rant on the fact that lactic acid doesn't exist in our body, and you got to stop using that term. We did an episode on that. <laughs> I can't remember the number. That goes way back. In the 30s, I think. Yeah, but lactate is a fuel. As a matter of fact, so the reason we thought it was lactic acid is because lactate gets pumped out of the cell with hydrogen ions. And basically, whenever you're talking about acid, you're talking about a buildup of hydrogen ions. Mm -hmm. So 
what researchers were seeing a long time ago was, oh, look, lactate levels are going up and pH is going down, so we must have lactic acid. But actually what it is is your body is using lactate to transport the hydrogen ions out of the cell to actually maintain homeostasis within the cell. So the lactate is actually helping to buffer effectively the acid. Mm -hmm. Lactate is a fuel, and the lactate is actually a base, which is the opposite of an acid. Right. By the way, every acid has both its base form and its acid form. So lactic acid is the one form, lactate is the other. Yeah, and that was episode 30 for anybody who wants to hear Trevor good. rant and rant <laughs> and rant. Not rant, just educate. That's all you're doing. Oh, no, it was a rant. Oh, okay. I will rant on that anytime you want me to. <laughs> the whole point here is you are getting out of homeostasis with fuels, potentially, with this metabolic milieu. So when it gets out of balance, we are causing a metabolic perturbance. Ooh, These goodness. are our terms. So we need to restore all this. The, so there, there's two theories here. One is that you need to restore, get back to some sort of homeostasis. You need to restore this so that you can do your next interval with high quality. Right. That's the one theory. So that theory tends to push towards you need more rest length. Mm -hmm. Make sure this is fully recharged. Right. Another theory, which has been around for a long time and is probably the, the, the one that, at least in the research I was reading, I saw more, is no. Remember, fundamental principle of training is you need to cause a stress big enough a stress that it promotes training adaptation. So right. the belief was you want to actually promote these perturbances. The bigger the perturbance, the bigger the stress, the higher the training adaptation. So if you look at it that way, you say you want short enough, long enough an interval that you can continue to do the work, but otherwise make it as short a rest period as possible so that you're not fully restoring homeostasis. Right. So the belief there would be, if you're doing really high intensity, yeah, you probably want to restore phosphocreatine so you can do the intensity. So maybe a 30 second, or sorry, 60 second rest, but not much more because we want to maintain all the other perturbances as, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. it, it, it does sound like, given the lack of research that's looked into these questions, we don't have extremely clear answers on this stuff, but I'm guessing there's a lot of nuance here. You, you, sometimes you want to go in one direction in terms of being fully right. recovered. Other times you want to, you want to give your body limited rest. So you, in, uh, you maintain a perturbance so that you then increase adaptation or that's the goal. What I have found interesting is the few studies I did find on rest flanks, there were one or two that said, yeah, there was some benefits. It was normally, if the rest is too short, you'll lose quality and it's not as good an interval session. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that, most of them are saying, yeah, we're not finding a big difference. Hmm. And one of the ones that I found the most fascinating that really talked about this metabolite perturbance, they actually set up a study with different two different rest lengths. So they were having athletes do two-minute intervals, and then one group was doing one-minute rest lengths, another group was doing three-minute rest lengths. 
And I have to call out this study. I really admire them. They used all female subjects, which is rare. Hmm. We, mm -hmm. we talked about that in a previous episode that most researchers go with males because, uh, frankly, males physiologically are simpler. Mm. But that's not a good reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we do need to study women. So I fully admire them for saying, let's do a study with women looking at the effects of this. So, mm. so kudos to these researchers. So this is a study from 2013 in experimental physiology. And they looked at lactate. They looked at hydrogen ions. They looked at ATP levels. They looked at phosphocreatine levels. Uh, a few others that we didn't bring up and I'm not going to bother bringing up, but it was it was good study. They found that the group that did one-minute recoveries had a much larger perturbance in all these metabolites. So you mm -hmm. saw higher lactate levels. You saw higher or lower pH, so basically bigger acid buildup. You saw greater depletion of phosphocreatine, like everything they were really hitting the system versus the group that was doing three-minute recovery lengths. They had these two groups do these intervals for five weeks. At the end of the five weeks, both groups saw big improvements in threshold power and VO2 max power. You know, basically, they all got a lot fitter. Sure. And there was zero difference in their adaptations. Mm. Hmm. Even more interesting, so... Going back to those two theories, one of the things that we look for is a body's, you want your body to improve its ability to naturally return these things to homeostasis. Right. So if you want to perform in a race, you don't want a big acid buildup. You don't want to have depleted phosphocreatine. You might want to cause that in interval work to produce an adaptation, but you want in a race, if you do a sprint in the middle of a race, yep. you want to recover quick. Yep. So you want to see your body be able to return to homeostasis much quicker. So their actual hypothesis was the group with the shorter recovery would see greater improvements and be able to return to homeostasis. Also completely not the Didn't case. Didn't see it. Huh. And you said five weeks, the yep. interval sessions were always the same. The only thing that changed was the, recovery the one group was one minute intervals. and the other group was three minutes. Do you think that those two rest periods were too close together. Like they should have done a 30 second group and a five minute group or something like that. Spread it out a little bit more. I think it's, it's you know, yeah. What you need is a lot of research sure. trying all these different things. And that's one of the issues is there's so little research. It would be great to, to have one that uh, does 30 seconds, 15 seconds. I did find a few that said they were studying recovery lengths where they did those shorter what about a 15-second recovery? What about 30-second? What about a one-minute recovery? Uh, one did find some differences, but my issue with that one study was they also altered the interval length. Oh. They were doing one-to-one -one on all of them. So they did a 15-15, a 30-30, and a one-minute, one-minute. Right. And then said, oh, look, there's differences. So the recovery length makes a difference. You go, but you modified two variables. Yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't make too much sense there. So this was one of the few that I found where they said, no, the actual intensity portion is going to be the same. The recovery length is going to be different. The other study was actually that Dr. Seiler study where they had them do six four-minute intervals, and then they had groups do either a one-minute recovery, a two-minute recovery, or a four-minute recovery. And what they found was 
between the groups doing the one and the two minute recovery. The groups doing the two minute recovery were able to do the intervals at a slightly higher intensity. Mm. Now, they, this was not a do these intervals for five week study, so they weren't able to look at long-term adaptations. This was just looking at the effects on their ability to perform the work. Mm -hmm. They found actually no difference in the group doing four minutes. More interestingly, they had a fourth session where they allowed subjects without being able to see a clock to self-select hmm. recovery length. Mm -hmm. And the, it worked out to 118 seconds. Wow. So almost exactly two minutes. Interesting. So the gist of their study was, and they, again, brought up all these different, the, the, this, this metabolic perturbance, pointing out that, yeah, you know, the, the PCR and the, the potassium imbalance both restore within about a minute to two minutes. Lactate and, and acid balance take much longer. So really, you're probably going to be ready to go after about two minutes. Chris and I talked with Jared Berg recently, the former lead physiologist at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center. Before we take a deep dive with Sebastian on the appropriate rest length for various interval types, let's hear a quick summary from Jared. Does the rest between reps really matter, or is it just making sure you're recovered before you start the next one? Like, does a minute yeah. versus two minutes versus 30 seconds, yeah, does it really like, matter? It, it does matter, and I want to understand more about that, right? And so Molly, um, Molly Brewer, my uh, colleague in exercise physiology here, you know, we do a lot of the same testing and, and work with athletes. We thought about trying to just, you know, get some people in, having them do, you know, an interval just you know above threshold and then coming back and doing um some time at the very top of aerobic threshold right and see what lack what lactate does see what's happening metabolically see if um so we can train someone to, to shorten that rest interval need um and then also maybe looking at you know big over-unders are a popular set it'd be really fun to just sort of play around looking at what what does an over-under look like physiologically does somebody mm -hmm. actually get under after they're over right you know it's just things that um you know maybe have been done in some labs but i just haven't seen the research on it'd be kind of fun to play around with that uh, yeah. so what would be some guides you would give on wrestling okay. between reps so if you're going above threshold i feel like um and you're approaching sort of vo2 max interval, I think rest could be equal. I mean, just a general guideline. So rest if you're doing a five-minute, five-minute rest. Exactly. Two minutes, two-minute rest, right? If you're going above VO2 max, right, because we, we can go above VO2 max with efforts, then we're looking at double time rest, one and a half to double time rest. So you go, you, go, you know, for a 30-second all-out sprint, then you're probably going to want to rest a couple minutes, right? That's even more than double time, okay. right? You know, and so if we look at the metabolic systems, Right. And about, you know, some of us can recover from a 30 second effort in about four to six minutes. If you want to really get a maximum 30 second effort, you probably need about four to six minutes of recovery, depending on your person. If um, same thing for a max 10 second sprint. Right. But we can recover from sort of a VO2 max sort of effort. Yeah. In about equal time. What about a threshold effort? Threshold effort. I feel like now you're getting towards, you know, three quarter to half time the interval length for rest. Okay. Yeah. And then anything sub-threshold, like sweet spot, it's more rest just to keep your mental clarity mm -hmm. and focus. 
All right. Well, let's get into a deeper discussion of the different types of intervals and the importance of rest between those intervals. And let's start with long intervals, say greater than four minutes in length. So what systems there are we targeting? What do we want to talk about here? What bring in some of the metabolic perturbance that we spoke about earlier? What's going on in those longer intervals that you need to address with your rest periods? Sebastian? It depends on what kind of intensity we are talking about. So when we describe an interval, we should be really precise, not only in the duration, because obviously I can do four minutes, for example, at threshold or slightly above, or I can do four minutes or whatever, five or six or eight or whatever, till exhaustion. And that changes a whole lot, actually, right? So the question is, is it just threshold intervals or slightly above threshold? And therefore, the break is maybe a little bit like the rest period is maybe a little bit more for convenience, right? Because I obviously could continue longer. Or is that, is that an interval where we go close to exhaustion and we really have a high level of fatigue here. This is very important when you talk about the resting period or how you should design the resting period, actually. Which I agree with completely, and I'm glad you brought that up because if you hadn't, we, we would have asked you about it. Let's talk about both and let's separate them. So the let's first talk about that interval that's done at threshold where, like you said, even if you're doing eight minutes, 10 minutes, you, you and you stop at the end of that time period, you probably could have got going at that intensity. So yes. you're, you're taking a rest. And then we'll talk about that more four or five minute interval where you're doing them as hard as you can do them. So let, let's start with that more threshold type interval. Yeah. So then, you know, if it's more threshold, like threshold or slightly above, and you end after, like after duration, which is not exhaustive for you and you could easily kept going longer, then... The interval, it's like the, 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 the resting period itself is not as important, uh, neither length or intensity, as long obviously it's, it's a lower intensity, that's why we call it rest. You know, as long as that is a given, it's not changing a whole lot in those kind of intervals. And that's basically because if you look at all the fatigue markers, so to speak, or all the physiological metrics, that can change during an interval at threshold or slightly above. So for example, accumulation of lactate, decreasing pH levels, decreasing, um, creating phosphate concentrations. There's not a lot happening. So all these metrics, they don't change a whole lot. They start to change a whole lot when you exercise above threshold. So when you're at threshold or just slightly above, then you know, the resting period, again, is a little bit more maybe for convenience, maybe because you want to see a big alternation in heart rate um, levels, which, you know, is a, is a fair, fair thing to do. So that's a little bit of the question. And then it's, it's yeah, it's, it's not really that, that important how you do that. So I'm actually, we mentioned earlier that 2005 study by Dr. Seiler talking about rest lengths. And one of the things he brought up in that study is this type of work, you really want to keep your lactates high. That you, his, his feeling was you get greater adaptations if you're doing these intervals and your lactates are up in the four or five millimole range, is I think what he had in the study. But also, as we talked about earlier, the it takes a long time for your lactate levels to return to normal, five to 15 minutes. So you don't want to have such an insane length rest period that your lactates come down. Mm-hmm. But you can take a few minutes 
Sure. And lactates are going to stay high and you're still going to get those gains in, in the, the next interval. Would you agree with that, Sebastian? Well, the missing part here is that is the intensity of the interval. If you do these intervals and let's say you rest for eight minutes and you just lay down flat on the road and don't move, hmm. um, the amount of lactate point. you can combust is comparable low. And everybody knows that by feeling because when you get up and do the next interval, your legs will feel pretty heavy, obviously. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's obviously that's obviously a question. And then I mean, if it's about if if your idea is to get to high lactate concentrations, then if you don't mind doing that, what you could simply do, you could just go the first thirty seconds or one minute of that interval much, much harder. Obviously the harder you go, the shorter you could do this little bit of extra work. So you could overpace, so to speak, in the first 30 seconds or something, shoot yourself up to a high lactate concentration. And then because you're exercising at threshold or slightly above, you will keep this lactate concentration or increase it slightly. So that could be a modulation. If this, if, you know, if this is a desired goal to stay at a high lactate concentration, then, and you don't mind doing this little extra work in the beginning, so to speak, that one way you could do it. That's interesting because that's my old coach when he gave me these types of threshold intervals. That's exactly what he had me do. Mm -hmm. It was first 30 seconds, go harder. Then he, he liked five or eight minute threshold uh, intervals at threshold. So he'd, he'd have you do 30 seconds really hard and then do the rest of it right at, at your threshold power. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is, what is most certain is that you need high lactate concentrations to also stimulate a higher lactate combustion rate, so to speak, or simplified speaking, very, very simplified speaking. If your lactate concentration is relatively low, then not a lot of lactate is pushed into the Krebs cycle and to the aerobic metabolism. But when it's higher, you can push more into it. That's certainly known. So then on top of that, there are some indicators that maybe your lactate transporters, your lactate shuttles, because they act similar to a GLUT4 transporter, or they look similar as, uh, as well, seems like could be could be activated by higher lactate concentration. So if you, if you would assume that this is a training adaptation you want, so to speak, training or simplified speaking, teaching your muscle to shuttle more lactate or use more lactate, uh, I would totally agree that, and this is what we've been using in professional cycling also in the last 10 15 years or so, um, you know, trying to do these intervals over and unders and stuff at threshold, so to speak, or slightly above, doing it primed. So priming yourself as a high electric concentration uh, because we assume that, you know, you can trigger your systems to shuttle and combust lactate with an additional trigger here. So that's actually something that's been really important to me with my athletes. When I'm having them do this type of work, I actually don't want the length of the recovery to be too long because, uh, as I think I'm hearing from you, uh, point out that the, the Krebs cycle is, is slow to get running. Um, and you want to get it running and you want to make sure that it, it's still running optimally when you're doing these threshold intervals so that you are effectively burning fat. You're, you're effectively working those aerobic systems. Well, the kinetic of the Krebs cycle is not really limiting here because we have to remember we come from like when we enter the resting phase, we come from a higher workload. Right. So talking about four, five, six, eight minute uh, interval duration, your Krebs cycle is running at an adapted speed because the interval was long enough. So let's say your, your, your interval, uh, your on phase is at 300 watts, just to stick with that example. If your on phase is at 300 watts after 
you know, after eight minutes, your Krebs cycle turnover rate is definitely at, you know, up to speed with that. So now when you go down, it's not a problem that it's, it's too delayed, so to speak, to catch up. It's coming down from a higher level. So therefore, the ability to push lactate uh, into that is, you know, is not an issue. It is actually defined by, you know, the intensity uh, of your resting period. So again, if you don't mm -hmm. keep some energy flux, if you don't keep some power output, um, you know, during the resting phase, then your aerobic metabolism, your Krebs cycle, will, after a certain time, come down to close to resting level. And therefore, the ability to push lactate into that for combustion is, is, is relatively low. And that's something, yeah, I mean, don't, don't need to go into the marketing stuff here, but that's something we have, been like, like that is, for example, one of the key metrics or one of the key graphs, which most of the inside using coaches uh, appreciate a lot, that you can see at which power output, how much additional lactate you can push into the Krebs cycle for recovery. But this goes back to what you were saying before, which is what I'm, I'm basically agreeing with, is when you're doing this type of interval and you get to the rest phase, you want to keep pedaling. You certainly don't want to take a 30-second recovery, but uh, I would personally say don't take a 10-minute recovery either. But more importantly, if you do that eight-minute threshold interval and then go sit in the grass for 10 minutes, mm -hmm. not the way to you're do not either. primed for the next interval. Yeah. From a, from a practical point of view, uh, for those that like to do maybe a hill repeats, eight-minute hill uh, repeat uh, in intervals at threshold – You'd ride up, you'd do the eight minutes, you'd turn around, maybe it takes you a quarter of the time to get back, two minutes, and then you turn around and you hit the next interval. That's that's a good sort of rule of thumb here when we're talking about this type of interval, would you say? The problem is that in the downhill, you're maybe coasting and not pedaling. Right. So you're very similar to sitting in the grass here in terms of muscular load. So in this case, you might want to ride... Uh, a little bit um, down in the flat, you know, a few minutes before you before you hit the climb again. We used it, for example, even in the race, like even in pacing and time trialing, like you know, back in the high road days and stuff, HTC World Server. We we used that in the time trial, even reminding our athletes to keep pedaling on the downhills, also at a decent power output. And the issue is here is when you just do it by feeling. In most cases, you pedal too easy. Like especially for professionals, the workload uh, they have, the so intensity where they combust the, the highest amount of lactate or at the highest rate is actually a decent intensity. Therefore, yeah, you need to remind your guys to it, but it works really well. So you can, you know, not even use it in training. You can use this information and this knowledge also to make a better decision on your pacing in a time trial. We talked about the, there's two types of these long intervals before we jump into that all out. Um, when we're talking about this threshold, these intervals where you're trying to do them right at threshold, what do you feel, feel is an appropriate length recovery and an appropriate intensity for the recovery? If it's right at threshold? Yeah. So let's say you're doing an interval somewhere in the five to 10 minute range and you're doing it right at threshold. Well, honestly, then, you know, it is, it is physiologically speaking from the muscle energetics point of view, it's not that important. My personal opinion is I would, you know, I would have the guy doing something like five minutes at whatever 50% of threshold as a rule of the thumb. That's maybe more rest you use to drink something and maybe take a little 
you know, sip from a jail or something, and not really because you need to restore a lot if it's right at threshold. So interestingly, I think I mentioned earlier that 2019 review that said there's not a lot of research on, on recovery lengths and, and intensity. But the one thing they did mention is the recovery, the exact length for this sort of work isn't that important as long as it's long enough. So they basically said, if you take a 30-second recovery, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're probably in trouble beyond yeah. that. Well, you guys are agreeing then. Absolutely. All right. You know, my, the, the thing I would just add is just that, again, you do 5, 10 minutes without pedaling. Yeah. You're not going to be ready for the next one. So I generally tell my athletes somewhere in that for the recovery two to five minute length, depending on the length of the interval and, and just keep pedaling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what you agree, intensity, probably we don't need to give a specific intensity for the recovery, but pedal. Yeah. Put some power out and for me, a good rule of a sump is 50% of your, of your threshold power. I would maybe not go a lot below 40%. And I think an upper limit, you know, it's not naturally, like you would not naturally have your recovery at 80% or 90% of thresholds. So I don't think this is an issue. Yeah. Most likely what, what happens is it's, that it's very, very easy. And, and I mean, again, in this kind of, of exercise, if you do rest for five to 10 minutes, you could, you could certainly have a few minutes without pedaling there. No problem, really. I personally don't have many athletes or didn't have many athletes that would do these kind of, of, of 10 to 50 minutes threshold work, um, some some do and some do have really good experience with that. In most cases, we would break it up into shorter intervals and then therefore shorter rest, or spice it up with some you know special cadence work or rhythm changes work or something like that. I will say, even when you're doing it at threshold, and as you said, when you hit the end of the interval, you could keep going. I will rarely ever give an athlete over eight minutes. I'd rather just have them do a little, a few more with uh, with some. Re- Having, having the yeah. recoveries. One thing I have to admit, though, is that we did it in the past more from a tactical or psychological point of view, for example, with, with, with Tony Martin, to get the interval in, which refers to or try to mimic the length of whatever, a prologue, or try to mimic the length of, of a specific stretch of a snippet in this whatever world championship time trial course, right? When there is whatever, a straight which might take him 20 minutes, right? A straight road or something. Then we would do that. Um, and then again, maybe look more for the position on the bike and these kind right. of things. So the justification then to do such a long interval was more from, okay, there's a race coming up in a couple of weeks. And from a practical point of view, we want to, you know, we want to just try to stay focused on the intensity and be clean with your position and aerodynamics, these kind of things. So I have to admit that, yeah, then, then we did whatever duration needed, so to speak, to accomplish that. Yeah. We are agreeing a lot on this podcast. Cause, uh, as I said, Sports. I will... It's so getting far. boring, huh? So uh, far. I know, get, so far. Because <laughs> as I said, I will rarely give longer, but that's <laughs> if I have somebody who's a time trialist, the way I explain it to them is I'll use the shorter five or eight minute intervals to build the power. But then as we're getting close to a key race or when they're regularly racing... I'll do some longer intervals with them, which is, I call it teaching them how to use the power. So it's, it's more about, okay, let's say you got your threshold up to 300 watts. Now I want you to do that longer interval, learning how to pace, how to do that 300 watts for that length of time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's stop being so boring and let's talk about a different type of interval here. Let's, yeah, let's talk let's about the, uh, the all-out but long interval. Say it's a five-minute interval and it's full gas. Yeah. And this is just particularly in, the, in North America, the common nomenclature for this is, is VO2 max intervals. Right. So they tend to be four or five minutes in, in length and they're all out. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should do a podcast, one whole session about why you call this VO2 max interval. <laughs> there, there's a whole bunch of terms that just have become the terms that you could really dive into. And well, we won't refer, we we don't have to refer to them as such, but let's just define them as five minutes in length and all out. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say four to five minutes, and it's yeah, you should right. be bleeding from the eyes by the end of that. <laughs> Okay, so let's assume you do that, um, and let's don't touch on it why you do that, or maybe why you don't do that. Talking about the recovery, right? Yes. The issue is here, and that's that's the main issue with recovery periods is that you are maxing out different systems, right? You're maxing out your creatine phosphate stores because those will be depleted at the end of this exercise. You are maxing out your pH levels in terms of de decreasing those. You are most likely maxing out your, your, your lactate concentration, which you can handle, so to speak, simplified. You're maxing out your, your, your VO2, obviously, like, you know, um, that's, that's part of it. Uh, and the issue with the rest period is that you have now different systems you need to recover, and they have different uh, time kinetics how long it takes them to recover, and they have different intensity at which they recover the best. And this becomes the complicated thing here, so to speak, if your intention is to bring back all systems to full recovery, which is needed if you want to at least try to repeat the same exercise, right? So it's, right. let's say if you create a session here to be more precise on what kind of intervals you're talking about, if you create a session where you say, I use, a I, use I go the first one full out, and then I use this power as a reference for the other, for the, follow, for the following three, four, I don't know how many reps you want to do, and use this as my reference point and try to hit the same number. If this is what you're doing, then you need to recover and restore all those different systems. And again, they recover at different durations at, at different intensities. And this is a tricky part here. Again, going back to that uh, Dr. Seiler study, interestingly, they didn't really find a difference between two and four minutes. And when they had a group self-select their recovery length without being able to see a clock or anything, it averaged out to 118 seconds, so mm -hmm. basically two minutes. Yeah, and this goes back to our discussion about the, the perturbance and what what Sebastian is saying now that one system takes X number of seconds or minutes to fully restore itself. Another system takes a different length of time and you might want to have them all restored. You probably do want to have them all restored, but if you don't do them the right way, one might be fully restored, another might be 75% restored. There, So that's why it gets pretty complex. Is that what we're saying here? Yeah, it is. it is pretty complex, but on the other hand, you're talking mostly about two systems here, right? For the yes. studies that you just cited. You're just talking about the phosphocreatine system and you're talking about the lactate system, and therefore the pH values. And the the results you just cited or summarized here are not really surprising um, because in this study, the 
intensity in the in the recovery phase was comparable low. Like the this it was basically like a fast walking, right? Right. And um, this was runners, uh, we should mention. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this was runners and they ran at five kilometers per hour, I guess, for the recovery it was. And this is, I mean, this is a good walk, right? Yeah. Um so at this intensity, um, the rate of lactate recovery, so the the the, the rate per minute, per second, whatsoever, how much lactate you can clear from your system in the muscle is relatively low, especially in this population he had there. Walking for two minutes or for four minutes doesn't change a whole lot here in terms of the lactate. Right. Right? Um, it's not a huge difference. We are maybe talking about half a millimole or something-ish, like ballpark. Um, and what happens at this low intensity is that you uh, will recover your creatine phosphate stores in the first approximately one and a half to two and a half minutes, depending on, you know, mostly depending on how good you are aerobically. Um, so how big is your aerobic engine? How big is your VO2 max? So therefore, it is no surprise that you don't see a difference between the two and the four, no significant difference because between the two and the four minutes recovery. Because basically, the recovery of the creatine phosphate system will not change significantly between two right. and four minutes. And the recovery of lactate will change, but the, but the impact, the effect, of, the effect of that is rather small. Yeah. So this is why the directed or prescribed recovery phases show this pattern. And then the self-selected one, the self-selected one is also refers to the same mechanics, basically. The self-selected one is because you feel recovered or you feel better uh, when your creatine phosphate system is recovered or is replenished. You know, we just talked about before, talking about the long intervals that, for example, in the pro cyclist, but also in amateur recreational cyclists, the self-selected intensity for recovery is most likely never too hard, but if so, too easy, mm. right? And that's the first thing that happens when you do a hard interval and your best recovery rate for recovering lactate is, let's say, 180 watts, your threshold is 300, you do your threshold intervals, or even after those four or five minutes, it doesn't feel good. It feels pretty ugly, so to speak, to jump from 300, 400, 500 watts back to 200. It feels much better if initially you just stop pedaling, yes. right? Or just pedal with 50 watts or something. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because the force your muscle can, can create is related to the creating phosphate content. So when you replenish your creating phosphate, and again, this process is, I mean, it's not linear, right? But it's, you're close to the maximum replenishment of creating phosphate again, depending on your, on your oxygen kinetics and VO2 max approximately after two minutes. So after that time, you feel strong again. You feel strong again, and therefore it's natural is that, you know, athletes will, athletes will, 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 will you know, re, repeats in the next interval or, or are, are more, more inclined, you know, to, to restart again. And if you want to have an idea on how this feels like or what's going on there, just imagine, uh, and this also tell, tells a story about how quick this, this process is. Imagine you're riding very, very hard, like in a bunch or something, right? You're almost riding at your limit. And it's about to do a little attack. It's about to go out of the saddle and push hard for just a few refs here. 
Imagine doing this when you're on your limit versus just stop pedaling for two seconds, right? If you just leave out, so to speak, a few pedal strokes, preparing for a sprint or yeah, just a little tag, um, you will immediately feel a little bit stronger. And this is the fast first phase of creating phosphate recovery. And again, the force that you can produce and therefore the torque, and which is obviously important in acceleration, um, depends highly on the phosphorylation of the muscle cell, which is creating phosphate restoration. So yeah, these findings make absolutely sense in terms of muscle energetics. And I'm going to just say, so you said if you, you do these intervals, you feel better if you, you just stop pedaling afterwards and fully rest. Part of the reason I don't like giving these intervals to my athlete is I'm, I'm going to take that a step further and say you, you feel better if you do these intervals right, if you run into the woods and get ready to your lunch. <laughs> <laughs> these are not fun. And I'm actually, I, I get the sense you do not like this type of interval. I, I, I would love to dive into that just for even a couple minutes. Yeah, educate the North American listener as to why you don't like these, why these are not effective in your in your mind. That's the sense I got as well. I didn't say that I don't like them. No? Okay. okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just, you know, um, I just struggle. Um, it's just difficult to talk to people about VO2max intervals um, because there's two there's two assumptions in here. One assumption that most people have when they hear VO2max interval, they, they assume that this is the only way or the one way to increase your VO2max, which it isn't. Right. Um, and then the, then, then the second question is, and we had this running, uh, running up for this, uh, for this recording today, what is the intensity? What is the intensity that describes VO2max? And this is where, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And, Therefore, I'm just very careful about these intervals because I first would like to understand what are we talking about here, right? right? Are we talking about the intensity, the power output, the energy turnover that equals VO2max? Or are we talking about an intensity at which you reach VO2max in any kind of incremental step test, REM test, all out test whatsoever, right? Like, is it is it a power output associated with with, with you recording your VO2 max and whatever setting, then we are linked in this definition, we are linked to the testing protocol, right? So that's my, that's my difficulty here. And then in terms of doing it, in terms of doing it, well, I have no direct offense against it. I'm a little bit biased here in terms of um, when you do these kind of intervals with professional athletes, and I have, I'm, I'm, I have to admit that um, obviously I'm biased here. My mind is more with this. That's no offense. It's just because that's what I did in the in, in the in the past years, I mean, I've coached more amateurs beforehand, but in the in the in the recent past. And anyway, when you do these kind of intervals, where you really go all out for four or five minutes with professional athletes, it's a very very uncommon thing. And the the, the possibility that you crack your athlete is quite high. I know that it's different uh, with amateur recreational athletes, and most likely most people don't really go all out like they don't. Maybe you only go to 90% or whatever of maximum. But that's why, yeah, that's why I'm a little bit careful with that, right? Uh, because the high intensity and maxing out the duration is, to say the least, a difficult combination, I would say. Yeah. That's actually, and damn it, we're agreeing again. As I was hoping to have some, <laughs> a little bit of back and forth, which would have been fun, but. Um, <laughs> The issue I have is, is I do agree with you. Most people can't get into the lab and do a VO2 max test. So when you talk to people about VO2 max power, 
the the common definition is it's your peak five minute wattage. And if you think of it that way, anybody who has gone out and done a proper test all out five minutes, hit the highest power you can for, for five minutes, knows you're then dead for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, those are, those are pretty awful. It hurts. So to do that once will absolutely make you suffer. To then say, okay, now go do five by five of that, <laughs> nobody can do that. Yeah. So you're always doing something a little below. And for a lot of people, because of how much that hurts, it tends to, in my opinion, be too much below. And then you're in this kind of in-between place. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. I also personally don't love it because you're generating a lot of power aerobically. But as you said, you're also generating a lot of power anaerobically. And uh, it, it's kind of in between. I would personally rather have an interval that really works lactate metabolism really works your aerobic system and then have another interval that just hones right in on that anaerobic system. Yeah. All right. Well, since these intervals aren't our favorites, should we move on to a different kind? Well, did we did we answer the question how long recovery and what well, power output? No, we didn't really. <laughs> You're right. So so let's for those who will still want to do these, let's answer that question for them. If you want to get at least the chance to repeat the same effort again. So again, I'm talking about the most extreme version maybe where you take the first interval as a reference point and then, and then you try to replicate the power output, right? Which will cause a problem. We can, we can talk about why this is maybe not possible if the, if the first one was really all out. But anyway, if you want to do this, if this is a setup that you want to do, then you would at least um, need to account for enough time to recover Uh, the lactate, or more precisely saying to combust the lactate, which you have accumulated during the effort. This can easily be 20 minutes for a full recovery. And you need to recover your creatine phosphate system where you just, you know, have to, as Trevor said, sit in the grass for two minutes as we, you know, seen as an example in the CIDAR study. The closest you can get ballpark or rough idea, the closest that, that you can get in terms of full recovery is riding for giving a ballpark here, depending on how quick you can recover the, or how quick you can use the lactate which you accumulated and how much you accumulated, say somewhere between 10 to, sorry, that's the range, 10 to 25 minutes, uh, pedaling at 50, 60% of your threshold power uh, or 60 to 70, somewhere in this ballpark, depending on your metabolic profile. And then followed by a little bit of full rest. That's your best shot to replicate the same intensity again, because then you have at least those two systems completely recovered. And that, I must say, is probably very unlike what most people do. do right. But most people would do five minutes all out, quote, quote, unquote, all out. They'd probably rest for five minutes at most and then do their second effort and third right. effort and, and maybe, fourth effort. And maybe my assumption, maybe my assumption that the first one is 100% all out and then you're trying to replicate is is not what's sure. also what, what most right. people are not doing right um, what might be interesting though or you know because what just Trevor said like you know I'm trying to to set up an interval session which is trying to target as good as possible isolated one energy system what you and what we're going to see when we talk about the more high intense stuff uh, the shorter intervals is that your recovery length 
because of your recovery length and how you design the recovery in terms of duration and intensity will actually change your muscle metabolism from one interval to the other, to the next, to the next, to the next. The metabolic stimulus that you get from the first interval and how, the, how, your, how your power output is produced in terms of creating phosphate lactate aerobically will differ mm. dramatically from the last one. Right. Right. And so that's something, again, why why it's difficult to, you know, to call these things VO2 max intervals maybe, or to put that any kind of label on it, so to speak, right? The first one is not the same as the last one. So I think my recommendation with that big asterisk of, I don't really prescribe these. The only time I ever <laughs> prescribe these to an athlete is, let's say they have a target race coming up that's a short circuit with a four or five minute climb. And then you just do this once or twice for some specificity. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to do a prescription of five by five minutes with 20 minute recoveries. Right. Takes a so, long time to do that. Takes a long time to do it. So at that point, I'm going to go forget about the lactate system, let the at least the phosphocreatine recharge. You're going to be there in about two minutes. So two minute recoveries and just ask the question, why are you doing these intervals? I don't like them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Shall we move on to what we're considering here mid length? intervals one to three minutes i don't think i've ever seen somebody do a three minute interval i see two minutes all the time <laughs> i've rarely seen three do you prescribe three minute intervals or anything in this length yeah sometimes okay <laughs> what would you, I don't what do you I mean, call them I mean, three minute intervals there you go very specific <laughs> i mean again if you tell me the time then you have to tell me the intensity right so that's a Good question. And let's talk about, and, and yeah, you know, obviously one minute versus three minutes all out is, is very different. So this is, yeah. we, and, we could. And three minutes different metabolically speaking to five minutes all out. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's like, it's similar, right? You have a chance to deplete all your systems or max out all your systems. I should say more exactly. Right. You just do it two minutes sooner. So why don't we, and obviously like we could just take this and do an entire podcast or probably a couple podcasts in this. So why don't we simplify this down to two to three minutes all out? So as right. you said, that's going to be higher intensity than uh, even your, your four to five minute all out intervals. Uh, yeah. So what are you, why don't we talk about a little bit what you're, what energy systems you're hitting with these intervals and then talk about appropriate recoveries. Yeah, so basically, and when you, let's say, to even find a bigger contrast here, let's say you do two minutes all out versus five minutes all out. And maybe not, let's not even talk about doing as interval, just use it as a single effort, right? Metabolically, what's happening is basically the same thing. You should, in two minutes, you should hit VO2 max. The difference is in a five minutes, you maybe write at VO2 max for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, depends, right? A little bit. In a two minute, uh, yeah, you maybe hit VO2 max after 100 seconds or something. So 20 seconds later, it's over anyway. Maybe you just hit it at, you know, five seconds before it's finished or whatever. Mm -hmm. So depending on how quick your oxygen kinetics, kinetics are, again, also it's, that is a marker on how strong you are aerobically. So it, there's some correlation, not a strong one, some correlation with your VO2 max. So long story short, if you have a lower VO2 max, you might just hit VO2 max at the end of this two-minute interval. If your VO2 max is above 50 or 60 uh, in that range or higher, then, um, then you will most likely hit 
VO2 max and this, 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 this in two minutes, at least on a muscular level. But most, most cases also measured at the mouthpiece. And then the other, the others, you know, you deplete, you're creating phosphate stores and you are accumulating a lot of lactate. The total lactate levels can differ a little bit to the five minute one, um, but not, not, a, not a huge amount. So it's not like that you end up at 20 millimoles after five minutes and you end up at 10 millimoles after two minutes. That's not the case. Um, you know, it will be in a, in a, in a, in a similar ballpark within whatever, a few millimoles actually. So it is not that different. Even if you, again, take the biggest contrast here within those ranges, two minutes versus five minutes, um, it is not that big of a deal different to the five-minute effort. And then obviously, if it would be three minutes or something, it becomes more and more similar in terms of what's happening metabolically in the muscle. But these are also very tough. They're very damaging. You're probably using a little more anaerobic metabolism. Let, let's talk about the rest. What's what's appropriate intensity? What's appropriate length? Because you're maxing your glycolytic system, so to speak, and you're maxing out your, your creating phosphate, um, it comes basically back to the same thing. You need several minutes of recovery at an intensity where your um, lactate recovery or lactate combustion is the highest. Um, so what we call the lack of pyruvate, so how much additional lactate or pyruvate you put you could push into the Krebs cycle which is, depending on your profile, somewhere between 55 to 75, 80% of threshold. So that's the intensity you should do for your lactate combustion, for the lactate that you accumulated. And then depending on your straining status, professionals can clear at the rate of approximately one, a little bit higher millimoles per minute. And they maybe only reach 10 millimoles or 11 or 12. So they need to go 10 minutes-ish. And if you are a recreational athlete, you maybe only can you know, clear at a rate of 0.4 millimoles per minute, you maybe reached 16. So therefore you have to go significant longer. And then because you're still riding at a decent percentage of your threshold, you're not going to replenish your creatine phosphate system entirely. So there you go again, coasting or sitting in the grass for two minutes-ish uh, or longer to replenish that. So, the, the, so the, the, the type of recovery you would need to do is very similar to the five minutes. And again, I get it that most people will not do this most likely. Um, it will be most likely shorter and will most likely look different. It will, not, it, will not show, it will not include two different intensities, like a decent high one because 60, 70% of FTP is most likely what most people are not doing. It will most likely not have a total rest phase for two minutes. But then on the other hand, uh, most people will not go flat out maximum for these two minutes, but maybe we're talking about whatever, 95% or 90% of their, of their maximum here. I've always looked at these as you really need to make sure before you start each one, you, you have some recharge of that anaerobic system. So you're really recharging the, the phosphocreatine. In these intervals, again, they should really hurt. I used to do two-minute intervals, and the way I would do them is on a climb, uh, so just two minutes as hard as I could, and I would have about enough energy at the end of that two minutes to just turn around, and then <laughs> I would coast down that hill and not pedal. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's maybe, how much they hurt. Maybe to make it more applicable for, for the listeners, then maybe we should maybe we should pick one example of you know the resting period and use this as an example to talk about. So... 
based on your guys' experience of how you use it, how you prescribe those antibodies, what would the recovery look like in terms of duration and intensity? I see these intervals often being a, you know, I'm, I'm going to completely contradict myself, but I often see this type of mid-length interval being a one-to-one recovery. So it's a one, if you're doing one minute, you do a one minute recovery. If you're doing two minutes, you do a two minute recovery. If you do three minutes, you do a three minute recovery. I look at it more as the, what we were talking about before, it takes about two minutes to recharge that phosphocreatine system. So to me, a two minute recovery is about appropriate. I tended, as I said, to do two minute intervals. So I did do a, a, a one-to-one ratio, but if I was doing a one minute interval all out, I would probably still do a two minute recovery. And is the power, do, do athletes replicate then the same power output during the interval or is that drifting? I am a... Is that fading away? So I always try to target specific energy systems. So I'm a big believer when you do interval work, you want to try to maintain constant power. Like the, the, you right. should cross intervals Between have the reds, same yeah. power. I don't like looking at intervals where somebody does... 400 watts in the first interval, 300 watts or 350 in the next interval. By the final interval, they're doing 275. To me, right. that's all over the map. They're blowing up. It's not quality <laughs> work. Yeah. Okay. I see. How do you feel? If you do, a, let's stick to that example. When, when you do two minutes hard, close to maximum, let's call it, right? Because if it would be maximum, you could not repeat it after two minutes. Um, if you do two minutes close to maximum effort, uh, and then have a two minutes rest, that is too short uh, to recover your glycolytic system. Or more precisely speaking, in the next upcoming interval, your glycolytic system will not be able to produce the same amount of energy for the same, for, for this two, two, for this two minutes. So therefore, percentage-wise, more energy has to come from the aerobic system and from the creatine phosphate system. And because creatine phosphate system is really limited and there's not so much power you can get from it in the two-minute intervals, aerobic energy contribution is going to increase from one interval to the other. And this then also explains the mechanics why you cannot do it being at your maximum possible power output for each repetition why you if you want that's why i ask for constant power if you want to go at constant power you would need to go a little bit above the absolute maximum because uh you know if you have maxed out your aerobic system as the first one and maxed out your glycolytic system and maxed out your creatine phosphate system and then in the next one one of those systems is not recovered enough so you cannot get the same energy you cannot get the same power from that in the next interval then your power output would have to drop so in order to repeat the same intensity for a set of, I don't know what, three, four, five, six, I don't know how many intervals, the set intensity, the set power output for the interval itself cannot be the absolute maximum. Which is why when I prescribe it to an athlete, I usually tell them, if you're doing it right, so I'm talking right now about, say, the two-minute intervals, two by two, so I tell them, you're doing it right, that first interval is is should be really hard, but you should finish it going... I could have gone a little harder or feeling yeah. I could have gone a little harder. Yeah. When you get to that six one, I want it to be at the same power. So I'm sorry, I always give them a, a set of six. Right. Uh, when you get to that six one, you should be saying that was death. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Don't want to do one more. Given the fact that after that first one, you're not going to, if you're doing the, if you're only using two minutes as rest, 
that then you're having to generate energy in different ways for the subsequent intervals. Is there an advantage to that? Are you actually adapting in some way based on that? Well, you would certainly adapt differently because the training stimulus is differently. So you certainly should adapt differently, right? Um, if this is an advantage, obviously it's a question of what what was the aim for the training. Mm -hmm. So if you are if your aim is that you that you trigger your glycolytic system to the maximum in each interval, then you failed. If your aim is to whatever max out creatine phosphate and use a high aerobic uh, you know energy contribution as a training stimulus, then you succeeded. Yeah. And you actually bring up a, a really good point uh, that I, I'm kind of Finally. Hey! <laughs> More cowbell. We, we should have brought this up earlier that you, you make the really good point that when you're doing interval work, well, your power, let's say you do intervals where they're all at the same power. You might go, well, they're all the same. But actually, if you look at your energy contributions, uh, how much energy is being contributed anaerobically versus aerobically from the first interval to the last interval can really change. Oh, yeah, and quite if, a lot. So back when we were talking about the longer than four minute intervals, there's actually a fairly well researched type of interval that I really like, which is five by five minutes with one minute recoveries. And one of the theories behind that is with the one minute recovery, you're not really allowing yourself to fully recharge anaerobic energy stores. And it means that as you get to those later intervals and you're trying to generate the same wattage, you're trying to generate it almost entirely aerobically. And and that's what I love about those right. intervals is if I'm trying to hit the aerobic system, let's burn up your anaerobic energy, not allow you to fully recharge it so that you have to rely on aerobic pathways. I mean, yeah. I, th I think it, yeah. this discussion here exactly. also brings up a very good point, which is having a, a known purpose for what you're trying to get out of a particular workout. And, and sometimes it's obvious, perhaps, and sometimes it's a little less obvious what you're doing. And hopefully this discussion sheds some light on what is actually happening. Hopefully what became clear here is something that, no offense, but I assume most people don't really think about a lot or enough is that, yeah, I mean, we talked about it, you have your VO2max intervals, or you're talking about some kind of intervals. But when you do this, you only always talk, in most cases at least, about the intensity and the duration. And you already put a label like VO2max or something on, on, on it. But actually what's going on in these intervals depends highly, and this is, I guess, why you do this episode, is mm -hmm. depends highly on the recovery. So you can do, like, just go back to the studies that Trevor just mentioned, you can do these five-minute intervals. If you change from one-minute rest to 10 minutes, it looks totally different. It looks entirely different. And the same, you know, sounds stupid, but it's obviously, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. If you change the resting intensity from whatever zero watts to 300 watts, still it's one minute, but it also changes a whole lot. And, and as you said, People prescribe an interval training, right? They go and say, I want to do VO to max intervals and forget about maxing it out. Let's say we do it at 90% of what you could do for this five minutes. Um, I think a very, very important take home message is here is that the energy systems and the training stimulus will change vastly through all these intervals. 
the first one compared to the last one and everything in between. And how much they change depend on how you design the recovery period. And I think most people are under the impression, oh, it's the same duration, it's the same intensity, therefore it's the same training, and it's not. That's a, that's a great way. We should have that at the very beginning of the episode to set the stage for this whole discussion because that's exactly what we want to address and we've been addressing. Right. And it's such a good point because, as you said, you can look at the intervals and say the power was the same every interval, but the, the energy contributions can be so different. Mm -hmm. Vastly different. Yep. Yeah. Vastly Which is different. Actually, because, again, mm -hmm. all systems recover in different kinetics and at different power outputs. And yeah, you need to know you need to know about this to really understand what's going to happen in the next interval. Which is, by the way, one reason why all these, you know, what's it called, dynamic W prime or W prime recharging, so to speak, fails. Because the because the depletion process is quite simple and you can almost calculate or model linear. But then the recovery or replenish process, again, is two different systems with different kinetics and a different power outputs. And this is one of the reasons uh, why, why, you know, W prime replenishment is something that is not really representing or uh, replicating the, the true recovery. And it often fails, like, you know, it predicts you are recovered and even you are not, and you cannot replicate the same, the same effort again. I gotta admit, we haven't been hiding our thoughts on things like Watt Prime. There's certainly a value to it, but there's also some issues. But one thing that's certain is there has been a lot of effort put into measuring that drop in the anaerobic metabolites or that anaerobic capacity to figure out optimal recovery links. Dr. Stephen Chung, a professor at Brock University and the head physiologist for Exert Training Software, has been working on one of these metrics. I think so many people overlook that process of recovery and, you know, any interval can be made harder by doing more intervals, by doing the intervals harder or shortening the recovery, right? Because if you do the next set already at a fatigue state, it is going to be much more of a training stimulus. And that's actually one thing we're able to quantify and and design workouts in exert with it's uh, to be able to have workouts where you you time your recovery not just based on time or even on heart rate but based on our model of your maximum power available which is really analogous to fatigue so we can have workouts that deliberately take you to a set level of fatigue allow you to recover to another kind of level of recovery. It may not be full recovery. And then that's when the next interval starts. So I think that is a huge factor in kind of designing quality intervals. It's again, not just the intensity of them, not just the number of them, but also in the, in the recovery. And I think too many people kind of overlook that they either overlook that and, you know, again, if you're doing a sprint workout and you're where you want to really generate max power after maybe two, three minutes after a sprint, you start feeling, okay, I'm, I'm still pretty good, but yet you're still not fully recovered. Right. Whereas you, but many people kind of, oh, I want to get in more sprints. I'm already feeling good. And, you know, surprise their next sprint and their, their sixth sprint isn't as strong as a result. Um, 
or, you know, whereas you, know, you, you really want to balance that and take that full recovery. And again, I think one of the strengths of our software with Exert is that we can tell you exactly when you have recovered to kind of the appropriate amount for that workout. And you can also design workouts to, to target specific levels of fatigue. But to get back to your original question, I think it is huge, the, the recovery aspect, just like recovery from an overall workout. Too many people overlook that. I think people tend to overlook that during an actual workout itself. Okay. Now, so knowing that you could probably write a whole book about the, the rest periods, any couple quick tips for people on, on how to pick their, their recovery length? I think the, it really depends on your focus and the target of your workout. Again, if it is a pure sprint workout where you want to be as rested as in between sprints, you want to really err on the side of having a long, long break of much longer than you think that you are you know, beyond where you feel that you're ready for the next one because your whole target for that is to generate max, max power. And uh, from as fresh a, a um, recovery level as possible. Now, you know, whereas if you're designing a workout that is really s- simulating, for example, a cyclocross race or a crit race where it's really incomplete recovery in between, then you want to kind of have that in your, in your workouts too, that you may have already get to a, you know, do a first set and then maybe you want to, you know, target, especially as you get closer to your race, uh, you know, shorten your, your actual recovery period to really simulate that ability to go hard over and over and over again. So I think there's no kind of one single rule, but I think it really comes down to what you are trying to achieve with that particular workout. Now we're getting into the sub one minute intervals and a very unique one that almost the recovery is more is uh, as well, let's say the recovery is as critical uh, in these prescriptions as the interval length. This is the Tabatas. This is where people think about it a little bit. I think, I think you're right, Sebastian, going back to your point that a lot of people don't understand or consider the, should I lay down? Should I be riding at 50% max? What, you know, all that. But, but here, I think at least, from my per point of view, it seems like Tabata's people get it that the the shortness of the recovery is a critical component to the interval right. itself. And the the one minute background on this is, uh, and we've t- had an episode where we really talked with you about watt prime and anaerobic capacity, uh, which often people use interchangeably. They're they're not the same thing. And we can also have the conversation about whether there there's actually something physiological there. In either case, Tabata, you read all his research, he was trying to figure out a way to deplete what he called anaerobic capacity. And as we said before, he discovered trying to tell people to do five minutes all out is really hard. But if he gave, so his original protocol was 2010s, but the more popular one now is is 4020s. But he found if you gave a short all out effort with a recovery that's half the length, he felt that could completely deplete your anaerobic capacity. 
And, and in the original um, studies of Dr. Tabata, was it 20 minutes total absolute? 20 to, sorry, sorry. Yeah. 20 seconds full gas sprint yep. and then 10 seconds of coasting? Or, or how did he define that? Do you remember? That's a good question, but I'm pretty sure it's 10 seconds coasting. Yeah, yeah. So, Sebastian, what's your feeling about this? Those kind of intervals are, are a very smart way uh, to design uh, an effort or, or, or an exercise. And maybe the best, the best way to understand it is basically it is almost like, like a 10-minute block but then you have these little drops of intensity, so to speak, um, within this 10 minutes. And like, if you do it, like we would always traditionally do it in cycling, you know, for like 10 minutes, like what, right? Um, so, so anyway, what is happening is obviously, or um, because of the short duration of the recovery and because of the intensity, going back to what we said before, you cannot expect a lot in terms of recovery of the glycolytic system, right? Your 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 lactate levels will not really drop in ten seconds, right? And your and your um, your pH levels will not really change a whole lot. Uh, that's not entirely true because they depend also on creating phosphate. But for the sake or for the reason of changing your lactate system, your pH levels will will, will not really change. What is going to change, though, as we already briefly mentioned talking about what happens if you stop pedaling before a sprint for just a few seconds is you're replenishing creating phosphate at you know in this 10 or 20 seconds recovery that's what basically happens especially as you said you're coasting you're not putting out any power output so you're replenishing your creating phosphate and then you are using obviously this replenished creating phosphate especially in the first seconds of the next load phase of, of the next mm-hmm. uh, on phase of the next interval, basically. And what I think the genius part here about this is that it's important to understand or important to point out that the recovery, the re, you know, um, recovery, recovery of creatine phosphate can only happen using the aerobic system. So the aerobic energy matter is the only way how you can recover creatine phosphate. So what happens when you do Let's think about it. You do the 20 seconds or 40 seconds hard interval, high intensity, right? It is obviously so high intensity that it will trigger your view, your VO2, your aerobic system to go towards maximum. So first one is obviously too short, right? You're not reaching your VO2 max in 20 seconds, right? And then in the off phase, the aerobic metabolism is working to replenish your creatine phosphate that you used in this 20 or 40 seconds effort. So your aerobic system is never really going down a lot because it's maximum triggered or stimulated to raise, to increase in the on phase. And it's used in the off phase to recover creatine phosphate. And so when you, when you, for example, look at the oxygen uptake in those intervals, when you set them up right, and this is a more delicate question, what is the right intensity to do that? Um, obviously only for the on-phase because the off-phase is just nothing or just coasting. Um, when you do it the right way, you will find yourself riding very close for view to max for the better part of the full set of intervals. And you will find yourself riding at 
uh, VO2max that you will not be able to mm, replicate right. from a constant load. Just by basic, that's that's why I say you can think about it at a constant load blocks where you have these little dips, these little drops in power output, which are just basically allowing you to continue. And because of the because of the oxygen kinetics and because of the re, you know um, recovery of the creatine phosphate, your VO2 max is not going down significantly like it would do in a 20 minutes rest, obviously. So therefore, you're riding close to VO2 max for several minutes and that's quite impressive i think the other thing that's also important to point out is that there are the, the phosphocreatine is is restored in in two stages so you're taking advantage of that first stage where you get a lot of it restored but you're not fully restoring or repleting the phosphocreatine and i bring that up because i often hear people talk about tabatas especially if they're doing the 2010s as oh i'm doing a whole bunch of 20 second sprints with 10 second recoveries and mm -hmm. i always go if you're taking a 10 second recovery, you're not doing a sprint. Mm -hmm. You're going hard, but there ain't no way you're doing 20, <laughs> 20, yeah. uh, a bunch of 20 second all out sprints with that sort of recovery. Yeah. Right. A 300 watt submax sprint. Right. Okay. Well, is it, is it worth clarifying how Tabatas should be properly executed then? Are people seated? Are they standard? They're, are they launching? Are they, are they hitting a, particular power or are they just going by feeling because it's so um you know intense my answer is a lot of bargaining with yourself to keep going <laughs> yeah uh, the psychological component here is 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 uh something we won't dive into but it is pretty critical for these what, what are your thoughts sebastian i mean mine is these should really hurt when people tell me what wattage to do them at i always say if you have the wherewithal to be looking at your power meter, you're probably not going hard enough. Well, I don't know. I always looked at my power meter. I have to admit, I did those. So you're not going hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I had to set power output. I don't know. You, you did it, but we started doing. I started doing it in. Uh, I think it's the late '90s, and we were doing it actually five to six times per day. What? So we would have Ugh. half an hour training oh, every two painful. hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks funny when you are on Mallorca training camp and you mostly lie on lie at the pool, you know, lay, lay at the pool with you know and and, and enjoy the sun and uh, and so on, and then and then you. Why ruin a good vacation with Tabata intervals five times a day? Yeah, you 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 just go out, you ride for half an hour, just you did like the ten minutes wow. warm up, wow. ten minutes hit it hard, ten minutes warm down, rest two and a half hours, six times per day. Well, more on the scientific side, if you say you do it for 10 minutes and you're able to reach, let's say, VO to max uh, level in the oxygen uptake, um, you're able to reach that after, let's say, four minutes-ish, then you stay at VO to max for approximately six minutes. If you do this six times a day, then you have a day in where you spend 36 minutes at your VO to max. And I can't imagine any other workout of the day giving you the same 36 minutes yeah i mean it, it sounds amazing it just sounds incredibly painful here's a he, the most important question i have for you is between the different sessions were you changing out of your bib shorts or were you keeping them on all day long randomly just maybe <laughs> randomly. i'll change maybe i won't randomly. maybe i'll wear the chamois <laughs> maybe i won't I mean, you, you, you know how they yeah. say it's, time, it's sure. time in the chamois that counts for training time, right? No, but, but seriously, the, the biggest issue here is the fueling because, because you can't really have right. a real meal. 
right? Like when you come back, you don't feel like eating for half an hour. And then if you eat something real, then, then you don't feel like doing the intervals, right? Or you might lose some weight doing them. That was most of the issue that you, that you basically only eat, you know, you only drink carbohydrate drinks and gels and bars throughout the whole day. And that also sets up your stomach a little bit. So that part was not really nice, actually. You said you started doing these in the in the nine, late 90s. Are these still things that you're prescribing to athletes that you work with or you see people still doing this or is this sort of faded? Well, not six times a day, not six times a day, but definitely like uh, three to four times on one day, spreading it out or distributing it over, over mm -hmm. a course of four hours riding or something, doing it three, four times. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I do think it's important to point out that you work with very high level athletes you're working with world champions tour athletes for the average joe like us at home doing this six times in a day uh, i was thinking about doing it tomorrow actually taking the day off is that all right i shouldn't be calling chris an <laughs> <laughs> tell me tell me if you managed to have breakfast yes or yeah. no <laughs> because it's getting right, tight timing true. wise from a true. logistics so, point we're of approaching view. the longest day of the year so maybe i'll hold off yeah. for another couple of weeks anyway i feel that you can do it uh three times on in on on, a, on one day with, with with an amateur and recreational athlete i would agree with that i actually used to and i give this to some of my athletes a, a slight variation where i'd have i'd get up in the morning and go out and do a set of true sprint intervals which we'll talk about in a minute uh, do that in the morning, then go to work or do whatever I had to do for the day. And then in the afternoon, I would go out and do several sets of, of Tabatas. And I always really liked that workout, but boy, it was a hard day. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably a good segue. So we're talking again about sub one minute intervals, but let's now talk about true sprint intervals. So kind of that five to 20 second all out sprint. These are fundamentally different from a Tabata. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to throw it out there and say 10 seconds recovery is not enough. <laughs> but let's let's talk about it. Again, try depending on what you try to do, right? Um, but if you look, for example, at the classical work a sprinter would do, like a track sprinter or a track and field sprinter from athletics, yeah, you would do whatever one sprint and then don't yeah. move for another 20 minutes. So the don't move is, is another story. The don't move is obviously you don't want to, you know, you want to you don't don't want to expose your system to any kind of endurance effort, hurting your glycolytic system or VLA max or whatever you want to call that. But basically, it's about having you know full recovery and being able to do a maximum sprint, so to speak, all the time and not being compromised. Like a classical sprint training, um, a really traditional approach, you would not want to compromise your your sprint, right? You would not want to compromise whatever in running your stride lengths or in cycling your, your RPMs or your power output, right? You would want to have, if you're going for these maximum sprints, you would want, again, very traditional kind of training setup. You would want to reach max power every time. Um, and therefore, you need you would need a decent long recovery, and this is for so to speak non endurance athletes. So I'm just mentioning that maybe because it's kind of the one extreme, right? It's the, it's the one end of the scale here. Well, I remember going to the track and watching the pure sprinters who were they looked more like bodybuilders than cyclists. Mm -hmm. It's exactly like you scrapped. They would do a sprint, then they would get off their bike and lie in the grass. Yeah, makes for a strange workout. 
quote unquote. It's very different yeah. from what we're used to. It's a uh, short bursts of intensity followed by long breaks. And again, the, 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 the duration is not super long, right? Like you're barely, like it, it, even, even the track sprinters, you barely get something longer than 500 meters. That's partly depending because of this is what they see in the race in terms of duration. Uh, if you look at athletics, then the efforts are even shorter and you wouldn't, you would barely see a, you know, a, a 100 meter runner doing vast amounts of, of, of 30 seconds efforts. Um, that's just a touch too long already, right? You would rather see them doing starts or up to 200 meters or something. Because I think what's important to understand here is that in, 30, in a 30 seconds effort, at the end of the 30 seconds effort, uh, approximately two thirds in, Uh, your 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 glycolytic, glycolytic energy system already is significantly impaired. So your glycolytic energy supply is already reduced halfway or after 20 seconds into an all-out sprint, quite quite significantly. So obviously, if this is a if this is a system you try to hit with a maximum training stimulus, uh, you don't want to you know come into this range where it's already impaired or hampered or a down regulated that's personally why when i give athletes a, a true sprint workout the longest i'll prescribe is, is 20 seconds often often shorter and when they ask me the the wattage i basically say you want to try to pr your wattage every single time yeah when's the last time you did a, a true sprint interval workout trevor uh september oh yeah why because my sprint is horrible <laughs> I thought you had just given up. I thought your answer was going to be something like, uh, 1987. <laughs> no, this is the train your weaknesses. It's just also the sad thing that I do think sprint power is more genetic than training. And I do a lot of sprint work and I've still rarely ever break 1100 watts. Mm -hmm. So let's get to the recovery length and let's move away from that pure track sprinter and talk about the endurance athlete who's doing some sprint work. What would be your feeling on appro both appropriate length for the interval and then appropriate length and intensity for the recovery? Right. I mean, again, like, you know, if you want to, if you want to trigger your glycolytic system, you want to increase the, the possibility of your glycolytic system to produce energy, um, call it increasing VLA max, then you maybe should not go much longer than 20 seconds because this is the duration where you can really max out the system. And in terms of then recovery, if you, let's say, I mean, that's relatively simply math, right? If you, let's say, do a sprint for 20 seconds and your VLM max is 0.5, then you will be able to reach 10 millimoles above baseline. And so if you want to be sure that you recovered from that in order to do the next maximum effort at the same quality, uh, you would need to get rid as a marker, simplified speaking, you would need to get rid of the 10 millimoles of lactate that you accumulated, or at least getting rid of eight or something, right? If it's a little bit higher, it doesn't really matter. But as a rule of the sum. And then again, if you, if you say your, your uh, maximum lactate recovery or combustion rate is approximately 0.5 millimoles per minute, then getting rid of 10 millimoles takes 20 minutes. If you're, if you're fine just getting rid of eight, then obviously it takes only 60 minutes or something. So that's the ballpark you want to do here if you want to do 20 seconds all-out sprints and maximize the use of your glycolytic system. The difference to the track sprinter is that you would not sit in the grass and wait. You would actually keep pedaling 
at, depending on where your maximum recovery rate is, 60, 70% of threshold, maybe 50%, 75% depends on your profile, and use this. And you can therefore easily include it into your base training or endurance training, or whatever kind of other endurance kind of training, right? So that could be that could be one way how you want to do this in terms of increasing your 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 sprint power. And this would be for that glycolytic system a pretty simple or precise way to to approach that, right? As so to speak, as kind of let's call it a standard kind of interval setting here. And you would not need to care about your creatine phosphates as much, right? Because in this scenario, that's not what you're mainly interested in, right? Talking about increasing glycolytic energy supply. So I take it, it's like you said, if you really want to do this right, go sit in the grass for 20 minutes. I always try to balance that with most of my athletes have a life and only so much time. So I, I my balance is, oh, I'll tell the athletes, go out, do that 10 to 20 second sprint. And then I basically don't want them pedaling for three, four minutes mm -hmm. and then do the next sprint. It's not perfect, but it's just, it's that balance between what's optimal and not having to spend five hours out on the bike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then also there are all different kinds of other, you know, sprint trainings out there, so to speak, right? Which also target more like the neuromuscular side of things and not so much maybe the energetic or metabolic side of things, right? especially when it comes to sprint performance should not be forgotten that there that there are another and other layers to performance uh, um, to to it right and then you would want to also look at the leg speed so the rpms at the cadence and look at these things to design a more complete um, sprint workout i i love the uh seated five to ten second sprint at super high cadence to to really work that neuromuscular side right and what do you choose for the rest then since that's more neuromuscular and I'm not looking for super high wattages, uh, I, I will often give that to my athletes in the as we're getting towards the end of the winter to work that leg speed, to work the neuromuscular side or, or in the winter and tell them to do it on an easy ride and just say, you know, do them every five, ten minutes. You don't have to be precise and just ride really easy in between. Right. Well, cool. Very good. Damn it. We agreed on that, too. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, maybe not. <laughs> um, Here we go. I mean, I mean, it's not agreeing. It's basically I use this with the likes of Gripel and so on. I use different intervals where there's a duration was much much shorter, but then the power output was not maximum as well. And we we had we had a lot of success with that. Actually, thinking about doing a webinar about sprinting sprint training that we successfully used in the past so maybe have to f put some time aside to do that yeah so so we had different you know over the years uh working working with this 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 guys like him and peter and so on it's like try different kind of of scene and try different kind of of sprint training um which sometimes deal with uh, much much shorter recovery but then again in order to fulfill that and in order to have a good quality, which again for me is important for talking about neuromuscular work or adaptation, um, the power output would not be maximum, but it would be more like a controlled thing. And then especially with sprinting, uh, when we design an interval training program or a sprint training program, I think especially sprinting, we need to talk about if we do it seated or out of the saddle, or if we allow that to be mixed. Um, because like, Obviously, in a five-minute effort, only a, 
relatively small amount will be out of the saddle if you allow for it. For me, you should not, but if you allow for that. There's a sprint of 10, 15, 20 seconds, you know, the majority of the duration of the, of the effort can be can be done out of the saddle. And then depending on what you want to use it for and what your idea is, why you're doing this, uh, I think we, we should be precise and strict on how we prescribe those seated out of the saddle. Oh, I agree completely. And when it, the, the focus is neuromuscular, that's part of why I tell my athletes it's not about trying to hit your peak power because I'll watch my athletes sit there going, you know, moving their body all over the bike. The form is awful and you go, that's bad neuromuscular <laughs> yeah. training. So when I give them those sprints, it's seated and it's as hard as you can go while maintaining good form because that's what you're right. trying to train. Right. It does sound like We'll have to have you back on the show, Sebastian, to do a whole episode on how to improve your sprints, both from a training point of view, from a neuromuscular point of view, from a technique point of view, because you've worked with some great sprinters and you have some knowledge here that Trevor probably doesn't have because he can't break. So this is where we're going to get into having a video component to the show. We're, we're just going to video me sprinting yep, and with say, that Don't. caption of, here's what not to do. Here's now let's talk about the right way to <laughs> yes, do it. Exactly. Could be could be interesting case study to try to improve your that, sprint. That, so, it, right? it could. That could be great. I have tried a whole bunch of things. I have actually once in my life won a sprint, but it's because no I one else possibly <laughs> found the only person on the planet with a worse sprint than me. Are you going to name this person? No. Okay. <laughs> he would not appreciate it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> and it was the biggest gimp sprint you've ever seen in your life. Well, I mean, again, like, look, we could try, right? We could make, like, a nice case study out I of that. I think we should. Maybe it will not work, but I think it will be fun for Chris and me, at least. Yeah, absolutely. To just sit I, there and laugh, yeah. <laughs> and if we can somehow make this happen on Mallorca with all of us there, that'd be even better. We have to do a, a trip to Mallorca to work on my sprint. I yeah. like this. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Let's do this. I will embarrass the heck out of myself. Good, good. That's what we need. Well, Sebastian, you've been on the show. It's been a while, but you know that we like to close out with take-home messages, most important things that we want people to take from the episode. Are we ready to go there? And let's, are you ready? Go. Are you ready to give us your your final message here? So for me, I think the most important message here is that people often think that defining a duration and defining of an intensity of uh, interval training defines what kind of stimulus. Uh, it is in terms of training or, or, or adaptation. What often is forgotten or basically un, or may, remains unknown because it's often not even prescribed is choosing the right intensity and the right duration for the recovery because this will change a lot what's going on metabolically, what's going on physiologically during these intervals. And therefore, it's important to remember that just because you're repeating the same power output doesn't mean that you're repeating the same metabolic stimulus. This will, in most cases, change tremendously from the first interval to the next, to the next, to the next, to the last. And that's something to take into account and really think about it and really set up a training program uh, where you prescribe intensity and duration for recovery. I'm just going to add a little bit to that, and look, Sebastian, we sent him the outline, and he emailed us and, and rightfully said, 
Trevor, you left a few things out. So basically, my one minute is actually a one minute that Sebastian sent to me. So this is actually Sebastian's two minutes. <laughs> it's uh, his second minute. But it's expanding on that. What I'm going to say is there's a lot of prescriptions out there that look really cool on paper, like do a one-to-one. So whatever length your interval is, the recovery should be the same length. And they look cool on paper. But what's the physiology behind that? And I think the best way to approach that rest is to say, what physiological effect am I, am I looking for? Am I trying to recharge my phosphocreatine? Am I not? Am I trying to let my lactate levels come back down or not? Uh, you need to look at what's the best physiological effect and then choose the recovery length and intensity appropriately. Mm-hmm. Chris? Well, yeah, I, you know, I think the, when you first, suggested we do an episode on rest periods i was like a lot of people out there and i thought well that doesn't sound all that interesting but i think that this was one of uh, this was a very compelling conversation that touches upon the importance of this topic that is just neglected or ignored or forgotten about by so many people so i i I do hope that people listen to the entire episode i think there's so much to take from this episode that's that's my take home is that this is in reiterating what you guys have already said which is this is a very critical part of training but a lot of people don't think too much about it that was another episode of fast talk as always we love your feedback Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com or record a voice memo on your phone and send it our way. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Check out the Fast Labs newsletter by visiting www.fastlabs.com and signing up there. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Sebastian Weber, Ruth Winder, Stephen Chung, Jared Berg, and Coach Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.